On behalf of Yarra Libraries and Yarra City Council, I'd like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri Woi Wurrung as the traditional owners of this country, pay tribute to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people in Yarra and elsewhere, and give respect to Elders past, present and emerging. to the Arrow Libraries podcast. This is a short story club episode where we discuss one short story before touching on the other books we've been reading recently. This week's story is Eight Bites by Carmen Maria Machado. So if you haven't read it yet, while we won't explicitly discuss the ending, you'll definitely enjoy this discussion more if you go have a read first. You'll find information on how to access this story in the episode's description. This story and discussion does contain disordered eating and body image issues. So if that's a discussion you'd rather not listen to right now, please feel free to skip to another episode of the podcast. A reminder, our short story club runs online at 11am and 6pm every Wednesday right now. So if you'd like to dive into discussing these stories directly in our meetings, just register for the morning or evening sessions online or through the Yarra Libraries app. You'll receive the meeting invitation in your inbox. I'm here today with Tegan and Connor, who've been running the short story club sessions on 8 Bytes. Connor, would you like to introduce the story? Yes, absolutely. So this week's story uh, is one that I really loved, so I'm quite excited to have the chance to talk about it. This week we read Eight Bites, uh, which is a short story from Carmen Maria Machado's uh, short story collection that was published in 2017. And I thought it was absolutely compelling. It's, uh, it's been described as a feminist fairy tale or a take on a feminist fairy tale which is absolutely enough to get me interested in anything and so the story is essentially about four unnamed sisters which I think feeds into that notion of the fairy tale and each of these four sisters have at different points in their life undergone lap band surgery And our unnamed protagonist, we never learn her name, this is a story about her and her decision to undergo the surgery and the impact that it has not only on her life but on the lives of her sisters and on the life of her daughter. And it was just quite twisted and I thought tender and really beautiful. Um, But that's how I felt about it. Tegan, how did you feel? (laughs) Yeah, I loved this story also. I'm glad that you brought up uh, the fairy tale aspect because that's definitely something that came through for me as well, particularly, yeah, the sisters and also even the kind of like body aspect of it, like the removal of the body parts, even though it's it's quite, I guess, medical in this story. It reminded me so much (laughs) of a version of Cinderella where like the ugly stepsisters remove parts of their feet to try and fit into Cinderella's class slipper. <laughs> that really came through for me. Um, I also like that you mentioned that you found it tender because I did too and I thought that was a strange kind of reaction to it but I actually found the relationship between the, yeah, the protagonist and this entity that was once a part of herself really kind of lovely towards the end. <laughs> Um, and a really fresh take on like this kind of idea of like self-love and hatred and the kind of binary that exists there. So yeah, I yeah I really love this story. I think it's really fascinating that you talk about that you felt that the relationship between our protagonist and this entity 
ended on a on a nice note because I I found the relationship between them really disturbing. I mean, it was it was obviously disturbing from the beginning of their relationship. It was quite toxic, um, and the scene where she abuses this part of herself was really evocative. I thought um, it was quite upsetting, but I don't I don't think that they ever came to a a, a place of of peace. So it's fascinating that we've obviously read the same story and got such different things out of it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that scene that you talk about in which with the initial kind of abuse of of the entity, um, yeah, is definitely full on. (laughs) And you're you're right. It's interesting that you say peace. I don't think that they came to a place of peace either in particular. I I don't know. It just felt like a bit more of a, like a shared existence or like a coexistence where the protagonist kind of, I guess, learned to, I guess, live with that part of herself in a way that was like, was, I don't know, the least, least harmful as, as possible. I don't know. <laughs> no, I, th- I think that's really insightful actually, because this did actually make me, this story made me think about the ways in which I guess we try to shed parts of ourselves and whether or not those parts ever really go away. And I think I, I came away from this, it reinforced my belief that those parts don't ever actually leave you. You can try and excise them from yourself, but I think they hang around. Um, and so I really liked, I guess, the physical manifestation of this part of herself literally hung around, like it, it lived in her house and she never really saw it but it was always there so I think that was like really beautiful imagery yeah I agree with what you're saying about this idea that there are parts of yourself that you may not like but they don't like you cannot make them leave essentially and that's what I found really refreshing that initial confrontation could have been the end of the story and it could have been like a I guess an overcoming of these parts of this herself that she doesn't like or or a really bleak ending in which she realizes that she can't escape them but it kind of goes beyond that and outside of this idea of like you either have to love every part of yourself or exercise the parts of yourself that you don't like so I'm glad that you got that out of the story too because that was probably one of the most compelling parts of it for me yeah I I think Machado does such a great job with that as well because I think she externalized that within the character of Cal because I think for me something that I found so interesting about Cal was that she was so furious with her mother for having the surgery and furious with her in general but there's this particular line from her around that was heartbreaking she asked her mother well do you hate my body as well and I thought that was just like that really cut close to the bone um, and I found myself particularly relating to Cal and really sympathizing with her I guess as the sort of archetypal angry teenage feminist character which I do very much relate to um, in all literature so I guess I'm interested to know from you Tegan did you relate to Cal or did you relate more with our protagonist or is that a completely binary um, discussion that I've simplified down way too much? I think it's a really interesting jumping off point, that question, because, yeah, on paper, I definitely feel like I related to Cal more than the mother figure. 
through the feelings of her being like a very, you know, frustrated, angry woman who's trying to reject these kind of feelings of, I guess, societal pressures of what like a body should be. But I also kind of, I could kind of see and kind of, I guess, sympathise a little bit with the mother's feeling of not being able to measure up to these kind of standards or like understand what her daughter was trying to or was so angry about. And that tension between the two of them, it I guess it made me kind of think about like these, you know, these principles that we have, these like things that we know, like in theory, I know that, that, yeah, I should not like try and change things to fit into a certain ideal, but that's a lot easier to think about than to actually put in practice, if that makes sense. Absolute total sense. Like it is so easy, I think, for us to be, at least for me, it is very easy to be a principled feminist and hand out all of this really sage advice to all of my friends who I do think are perfect and nothing about them should change. And then the moment that that is applied to me, absolutely out the window. Totally. I do exactly the same thing. (laughs) Yeah, it's so, so easy to do that. And it really, yeah, really made me think about that a lot. As a bit of a food obsessive myself, uh, I really enjoyed the focus that this story had on food because it actually is, it's so deeply enmeshed into the narrative, uh, both as the villain and the saviour, I think. I thought it had a, a really, a really interesting relationship with food. And one of the things that really came to me when uh, Machado was describing the eight bites of a meal would be enough for sustenance and satisfaction. That was so evocative for me because it just completely brought up the whole notion of you've created this entire meal and you've used all of the raw ingredients and the time and the labour involved and you're just going to chuck the rest of it in the bin because you've taken what you need from it and... I think the waste and the privilege that is tied up in that, I haven't stopped thinking about that since I read it. I'm glad you brought that up. That was probably not initially something I thought about until you mentioned it. And then when you mentioned it, like, I again, I yeah, I couldn't stop thinking about it. When I reread it, there was a scene at the start of the story where um, the sisters, they talk about going out to restaurants and in ordering these huge meals and then just eating a few bites and being like, oh, no, I couldn't possibly. It's almost like a power play almost of like getting this huge, like they could have ordered something small, but they've got this like big meal and then displaying like how much self-control they have by saying that they're not going to eat the rest of it. Like that felt, when I reread that, I was like, wow, that's a really like deliberate, almost kind of like, brutal thing to do and yeah the ability to be able to waste so much food like that scene the protagonist throws the the food in the bin and then has to put like um, window cleaner on it to stop her from getting it out again and eating it like that was such a yeah like you said an evocative yeah just a contrast of like control and power and food and how that all kind of plays into each other I just yeah it was really really affecting and something I hadn't really considered on my first reading so I think you're absolutely right. I think it the whole story and uh, the wider collection as well really touches on these themes of power and control. And I think it was just done so beautifully because not only is it power over oneself, it's power over one's body. It's literally controlling 
the so the lap band surgery is a is a literal act of control over your own human body like she cut her stomach down to size to be able to control what she could consume and I think that that's a really interesting proposition because part of it horrifies me and then I'm in a very cow way part of it horrifies me and then the other part of me the kind of feminist part goes well why shouldn't she cut her own body down to size if that's exactly what she wants to do with her body why shouldn't she have that right but my gut instinct was to go oh my god that is just awful why would you need to do that to yourself yeah totally and it brings up that tension again of like you know who like who is she doing this for like that thing you say is like she should be able to do it if that's what she wants but is that what she wants like that's the big question I guess that Machado is trying to I guess untangle a little bit yeah absolutely like how much how much informed consent can we actually have in a patriarchal society yeah I've been thinking about that a lot and like trying to be like like it can be real time of like what are my thoughts and what are like how do I untangle these from things I've been told and all of that kind of stuff and like oh it's just it's just wild but I think yeah Machado does a really good job of kind of like approaching all these topics and kind of bringing them out in a really nuanced and interesting interesting way that is also just really compelling yeah I completely agree and I think it's interesting because we've we've talked a fair bit now about feminism and the notion of how to be feminist within the confines of this story and the collect so Machado's collection has been described as feminist explicitly feminist Uh, and so I guess the question that that raised for me was do you think that this is a feminist story and if you do or you don't what makes it actually feminist is it just because she's a woman and she's writing about women or is there something more to it than that? I think there's something more to it than that. For me, it really came through, like, she's clearly interrogating, like, how how insidious or how, like, patriarchy kind of has its hands in this idea of, like, women's bodies and how women, I guess, relate to each other. The thing that I guess kind of really brought it home for me is that even though, so there's no men in this story, like, even even the doctor figure is a woman. And I thought that was a really smart uh, choice of Machado's because it kind of really, it really shows how, I guess, um, like patriarchy can be enforced on women by other women, not just men. And uh, yeah, that like, I was thinking about it and like if she had made, for example, if she'd made the doctor a man, he you could point to him as a kind of like, oh, he is the image of like the patriarchy, like, you know, telling this woman that she should change her body yeah it would be so easy to just hate him right like it he would be he would be such an easy villain yes exactly yeah and you would put all the focus on him but the fact that she doesn't do that I thought was a really smart choice because it just kind of makes you look at like all of the different female relationships like the sisters the mother the daughter doctor like all of them and how they're all kind of like passing on these ideas and rejecting these ideas and it's just this like really interesting interaction between all of them which I think I don't think it would have been as effective if there were men in the story I suppose. Yeah I've been thinking a lot about the character of the doctor and the fact that she is a woman 
because it's really it really made me think about whether or not I saw her as the villain. I actually think that I I think the patriarchy is the villain, but it really made me think about whether or not the doctor was a tool of the patriarchy or a victim or both. I actually think I settled on she's both. I think you can be both and I think a lot of us are. Yeah, I yeah, I agree with you there. I I I I didn't see her as a a tool is a good word. You you've used yeah. A tool is definitely a good word, I think. Perhaps even an unconscious, you know, unconsciously just kind of passing this stuff on. Um yeah, I think she kind of sits in the middle as both victim and perpetrator, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Did you think it had a happy ending? That's an interesting question. I don't think it's a happy ending, but I am. I think a happy ending would feel disingenuous if she were to, you know, obviously get everything that she wanted. I think it is a, I don't know, it's a very ambiguous ending. So I thought it was really interesting that it wasn't a happy ending, or at least it didn't feel a happy ending to me. And I thought that that was quite a nice subversion of this notion of it being a fairy tale because at least in all of the sanitized fairy tales they do all have happy endings and your four unnamed sisters they would all go on to marry their true loves and be perfectly happy and the world would be wonderful and they would all have excellent relationships with their children which objectively is not how this story ends yeah that's a good point i i think it would be if it were to tie up in a neat kind of parable, I think it would be disingenuous to the character and also to what Machado was trying to say, which I think is like this stuff is so ingrained and insidious and like just trying to untangle yourself from it can be a lifelong thing. And the fact that, you know, this entity was with her for her entire life, they had this kind of back and forth, them existing together really kind of shows how difficult it is to kind of you know break through some of this stuff or like deal with this, some of this stuff so I think yeah there can be no no kind of neat ending or parable like conclusion for something like this I just think it would feel it wouldn't feel right I, I would not be satisfied with it I completely agree I think it ended exactly the way it should have because I think it was really quite a realistic story And realistic stories often don't have happy endings. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But that's quite a heavy note. It was quite a heavy story. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So in the interest of uh, lightening things up, have you been reading anything or watching anything this week that uh, is a little lighter? Well, actually, I did start a very good graphic novel by uh, Lisa Hannah-Walt who um, is – she was the art director on BoJack Horseman and I, she made her own show as well called Tuka and Birdie, which is very, very good. It's like she's like an animator and a, and a um, artist and she's – I got her a graphic novel that she put out called Hot Dog Taste Test. Oh, and I loved that. Yeah, it's just – it's just so funny and weird and very crude, which I like. There's a lot of like bodily fluid humour, which I'm very <laughs> – I'm enjoying it. It's just it's just so funny and smart and colourful and I've actually been really enjoying it as a kind of like, you know, break from all of the heavy stuff we've all we've all been, you know, going through. So 
yeah, it's been so nice to just re- go through this. I really, really enjoyed it, and I think I'm gonna, I'm gonna rewatch Two Grim Birdie as well because that, I really love that as well. How about you? Have you been reading anything light? Uh, well, I've not so much been reading recently, although I certainly have been for work. But you're absolutely right. It has been quite bleak, uh, and in bleak times. I try to dive headfirst into something that is just going to make me feel warm and fuzzy and uh, a good timing. The most recent season of Call the Midwife came out at the beginning of this year and that is without a doubt one of the most wholesome, lovely, just absolutely nourishing um, pieces of content that you'll ever consume. And so I binged the entirety of that season and it completely fulfilled my faith in humanity again and really just made me want to go outside again. Oh, that's so nice. I have been meaning to watch that for a long time, so that's a very good suggestion. I think maybe that's it. Now is the time for me to pick that up. (laughs) That sounds so lovely. It's certainly an excellent mix of realism because they don't shy away from poverty. Um, It's essentially a show about poverty, but they do it in such a way that you just you just love other humans and that is not something that I feel very often so it's uh it's very compelling media uh if look if a tv show can make me you know love people that's tick well done (laughs) (laughs) that was a short story club episode of the our libraries podcast you can find eight bites in Carmen Maria Machado's collection her body and other parties available through cloud library or you can read it in gulf coast by using the link in this episode description. We'll be back soon to discuss The Drover's Wife by Henry Lawson, because what better time to discuss being isolated with five children and a snake? Book into one of our May meetings of the Short Story Club via our website or app, or tune in next week. Until then, happy reading! Happy reading!